It was a large, dim, dingy room. Down one side was a long bar, where both light and patrons clustered like moths around a flame. The other side stretched off into the gloom, and the far wall was more imagined than seen. It was a gray kind of group, slack-faced and withdrawn. The only thing they seemed to have in common is the desire to be lonely, but not alone. Conversations such as they existed were murmured and sharp-edged. Suddenly laughter cut through the air like lightning through a cloud. It was as out of place as a white elephant, and all turned in that direction. In a corner, on the far side of the room, was an old wingback chair, almost invisible in the gloom. And maybe that was a man sitting in it, but no one was sure. The voice that followed was deep and clear. It said, In a room full of untold stories, it's a pity no one will share. Well, here is my story, and may it give tongue to your own. It was all in her imagination. Or was it? The Ghost Farm by Susan Andrews Rice When Stephen was killed, we did not know it until nearly 30 days afterwards. He went overseas in April, and it was the last of June before we knew he went out with a party of engineers to repair the railroad track and was blown to pieces by a German shell. We could not tell Maddie the truth. She knew he was dead, but concerning the matter of his going, she was ignorant. They were engaged. Her love for him amounted to adoration. She was an intense, emotional girl, bound to be unhappy because of her sensitive nature and strong feelings. She was under my professional care for several weeks the latter part of the summer, suffering from a broken ankle. It is the silence, the awful blank wall between Stephen and me that drives me frantic. She burst out one day when I was making her a visit. She had been reading a letter from Stephen, and it lay in her lap. She had a little package of his letters always near her. I know, I returned with a sigh. I, too, had lost my nearest and dearest. I wish I could consult a medium, she said, lowering her voice. How wonderful it would be to receive a message from him. I could hardly bear it. I'm afraid. Don't do it, Maddie, I said. Better leave such people alone. The Ouija board, then. It seems rather like a silly game, but... I shook my head. That way madness lies, I quoted. I wouldn't, Maddie. Stephen lives in your heart, in your memories of him. She smiled that pathetic little smile she had worn when she wished to appear cheerful. You are right, she answered, and changed the subject. In spite of what she had said, I discovered she was reading everything she could find about spirit communication, although I never heard of her making any attempt to reach Stephen in that way. I was very busy that fall with influenza cases, and Maddie went into Red Cross work, and when the epidemic was over, I heard she had gone to California. She returned early the following summer, looking haggard and ill. I prescribed for her, but could find nothing really wrong with her. 
She took long walks, and her mother told me she always went alone and resented any offer of companionship. She thought it was queer, and she said she feared Maddie was drifting into melancholia. Maddie came into my office one afternoon, and I was struck with the change in her expression. She looked happy and young. The strained misery had vanished from her face. I was puzzled. Could she have fallen in love? I ran over in my mind a list of her young men acquaintances, but none of them could I see as Maddie's lover. Her mother had informed me her walks were always in one direction. Thinking of that, I asked, Why do you always walk along the river road, Maddie? She turned a vivid pink. You won't understand, I know, but I'm going to tell you, she replied, twisting her gloves in her hands. In the first place, you must know that Stephen and I used to plan that when we were married, we would own a little farm. Just a little summer place, you know. He used to say every man wanted to have a farm. Doctor, when I go up the river road, just past the schoolhouse, on the bank where the road turns into the woods, I see a little farm. The fields are neat and cultivated. The house is painted white with green blinds, and the door is open into the hall as if people live there. Hollyhocks are growing around the kitchen door. On a table, milk pans are turned up to dry in the sun. There are some dish towels drying on a line. And at any moment, I expect to see Stephen come around the corner of the house. I feel he is there, out of my sight. I wait and listen. He hasn't come yet, but he will some day. And when he comes, I shall go with him. Her face was luminous with joy. What could I say? What ought I to say? Do you think I could see the farm if I were with you? I asked, speaking slowly. I'm afraid you couldn't, she replied. No one knows it is there but Stephen and me. Then, my dear Maddie, it exists only in your imagination, I told her gently. She smiled as one smiles at a child who doubts one's word, and she went away. I studied her case carefully. A good psychoanalyst might have helped her, but I was not skillful in that method of treatment. I see now that we did wrong in circumventing her. In accordance with my advice, her friends attempted to divert her attention from her daily walk. She was taken on automobile excursions. Visitors came at that hour of the day. She was invited to go to moving pictures. Duties were crowded upon her in the hope of altering the fixed idea in her mind of Stephen's waiting at the ghost farm. She was very sweet about acceding to the demands and requests, though sometimes she would obstinately refuse to listen to them. August brought hot weather. The extreme heat wore upon our nerves. Everybody relaxed. Released from vigilant watchfulness, Maddie left the house unnoticed. A terrible thunderstorm came up, and Maddie's mother was beside herself. She had been laying down taking a nap when Maddie slipped away. She telephoned to me when the shower was over, as Maddie was not missed until then. I got out my car and started up the river road, a sense of foreboding in the back of my mind. I had not proceeded far when a tire blew out. Impatiently, I left the machine and hurried on foot. 
past the weather-beaten old schoolhouse a short distance. Suddenly, I stopped in my tracks. The sun had come out, and I saw the ghost farm. It was exactly as Maddie had described. A stretch of green fields, a small white house with green blinds, hollyhocks growing by the kitchen door, milk pans glistening in the sun, drawing on a table, towels fluttering on a line. I was struck dumb and stood motionless, hardly able to draw my breath at the strangeness of the scene. In a few minutes, the vision, or mirage, vanished. Then I perceived a tall oak tree split in half by a bolt of lightning. At the foot of the tree lay Maddie on the wet ground, a smile of rapture upon her upturned face. I knelt beside her and examined heart and pulse. Nothing could be done. Her spirit had left its earthly body. She had gone to be with Stephen. The End As the end faded away, the group seemed to shake and whimper like a puppy coming out of a deep sleep. The room grew brighter, and people started talking to their neighbor, telling marvelous stories. No one noticed that in the now visible far corner stood an old chair occupied only by an overcoat.